Quality Podcast from the ACT Center for Disability Leadership. I'm Director Mary Kay Kennedy, and today we're going to be talking with Barb Kleist. Barb is a longtime ally and supporter of the self-advocacy movement. She works at the University of Minnesota Institute on Community Integration, and today we're going to be talking to her about different supports and planning processes that help people with disabilities get more of what they want out of life. Enjoy the lesson. All right, good morning, folks. We got a great podcast for you today. We've got our guest, Barb, and Cynthia, our co-host, is with us today, too. So let's uh, get into this. Cynthia, would you like to start the conversation? Good morning, Barbara. You're a big fan of people with disabilities living and learning the way they want. Could you tell us a little bit how you got into that role? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I'm really excited. Nobody's ever asked me these questions before. So I really got involved in, in why it's been so important for me that people with disabilities uh, really are in the driver's seat of their own lives is uh, growing up, my parents really instilled that in my family. When I was about 10, my brother was born and he had uh, some challenges in learning and kind of processed things differently, sometimes saw the world a little differently. And my parents just really instilled in all of us that we all have um, the right to live our own lives, to have the lives we want. And so we really were raised that way. And that carried me through, uh, carries me through to today. And really thinking about, you know, how important it is for me to, important for me to be able to advocate or to promote or be a part of something that is, you know, just seems natural to me and my family. So I felt like that kind of couldn't figure out why everybody wouldn't be treated the same way and have those same expectations to live their own lives, why it would be any different just because someone may have a label of a disability or something like that. So it's really been since I was 10 years old. (laughs) And then I've just tried a lot of different things along the way that always put me um, in places where I had the opportunity to support people with disabilities to live their their best lives. Wow, that's that's wonderful. We're going to be talking a lot about person planning. And we I hear you are a big advocate and person that likes that. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? You know, over the, you know, we've heard about the words, I'm sure you all have heard about the, the, that word person-centered planning or person-centeredness for many, 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 many years. And I've always found it, it's an important con- it's an important concept or something to think about, but I've always been really interested in what does that look like in terms of person-centered planning? How do we help? So I think about my own brother who has, he does a lot of really cool things. He's an outdoorsman. Uh, he hasn't ridden a motorcycle, um, but he likes to do, you know, he's got a lot of, of, of uh, interests and things that are important to him and really thinking about how, did, how, do, how do you plan? How do you support other people? How do people get those things that are really important to them? And we all have our health and safety things that are important. You know, we all know what our doctor tells us we need to pay attention to. I, ha- I love my potato chips, <laughs> but I, and I, I, but, and I, but it's also important to me to be able to eat those potato chips. And sometimes I will make choices that aren't so great. Right. Um, and, and I think that that just should be the same for everyone. And 
for so many, many years in the his history of people with disabilities and how they're supported, we only focused on, and the systems and others around them only focused on those health things, those things to keep us healthy and safe, but really didn't pay much attention to those things that were important to us. And so what I see with the person-centered planning is it's that chance to connect those two yeah. So thinking about, we know what we need to do is healthy and safe, mm -hmm. but what can we do? How can we get supports on those things that are important to us? Like getting out and going to concerts or maybe wanting to be on a, you know, a sports team or some kind of a league. Those are the kinds of those things that are important to us that are often missing when we would think about planning supports for people. So for me, Person-centered planning is kind of a way, a process, or a tool that professionals or people that are helping us figure out our supports can make sure there's balance in those two pieces. And there's been lots of different kinds of person-centered planning and person-centered tools out there over the years. And they all have kind of a common element when I look at them. And that really is about how do I get the supports I need to live the life I want? And what that information do those supporters need so that, that I'm, I'm healthy and safe, but that I also am happy and, and content and, you know, have a good life. Yes. That's a very important key to the whole conversation is that we get what we want, but yet we're also safe. Yeah. A really great story I have with supporting my brother is years ago, he, my, my bro, I have all brothers and all boys in my family and they're all big hunters and outdoorsmen. And my brother really wanted to be a part of that and not just be there, but also be able to hunt. So that meant that he had to learn how to use a gun, have gun safety and do all of those things. Well, we all know if you have some kind of a label of disability, that sometimes the system goes, oh no, oh no. And so we as supporters and people around him and my, myself as, an, his, as one of his chief allies and advocates really pushed to kind of figure out, well, let's figure out how this can work. Let's figure out how to support him because it's really important to him to be with folks and, that, and to share in that hunting experience. And so rather than saying, oh, no, you can't do that, we, we said, well, let's figure out how we can do this and you can still be healthy and safe. Yeah. What did y'all do? I mean, can we have a few examples? Sure. Well, so some of the things we're helping him uh, get connected to a gun safety course. And to people that understood and, and, and being able to pass, to get that, you have to take a test and pass a certificate. But then also worked with, um, you know, we had conversations and we got together with the hunting guys. So my other brother and the other guys that hunt and really talked with them about how to reinforce and be positive with my brother and provide him with the supports out on the hunting shack. And they, they kind of worked with him. They have some rules that they have that everybody has at the hunting shack, but you always hunt in pairs. So he always has this chance to hunt. He doesn't have to be by himself and, you know, be put in a position where he might have to make a scary or, or challenging, you know, decision. And so that's the kind of things is we just figured out kind of how to do those supports. Now, sometimes supports people need are paid people, but for my brother, it's really about, it was really about his family and friends who share that interest in hunting. I wasn't the person to be part of all those conversations because I'm not a hunter. But what I did is encouraged people to have those conversations and, and figure that out. 
Well, and that that is a key part to this is you really have a team that you need to work with to build the plan because everybody plays a role in the plan. Exactly, DJ. And you hit, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, and thinking about, you know, we can make all kinds of plans. And, and it's kind of funny when I sometimes think about person-centered planning, because I don't know, are you all familiar with Oprah and, and all of the different live your best life? There's all kinds of books out there for everybody. Yeah. And yet, really, all of those books are about person-centered planning. They all have the same things. And it's one thing to put the plan. I've made many person-centered plans. It's one thing to make a plan. It's another thing to, how do you use it? How do you make it come alive? And that's really where we focused on, where where I'm really passionate about person-centered planning is how to make those plans come alive. Because certainly lots of people have dreams and hopes and North Stars and all kinds of things. But really, how do we make sure that the supports, that you have the supports you need? I'm curious is if you have some things in your lives that you've, you know, in terms of from person-centered planning, Cynthia or DJ, where you had to figure out those supports so you could live your best life. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of hard, you know, when you're trying to do it by yourself. Many times I had to do a lot of things on my own, far as use my own footwork, use my own phone, calling the phones and just, hey, getting on it. But like you say, it's kind of hard, but you do need a team. Mm-hmm. You do need a team to work with. You do. And I just want to know, out of the personal center planning, what's some of the things that made you feel good? Want to chill and call out, you know? You know, that's a great question. It's a hard question, but actually things that make me want to cheer is when I see someone, and, and even today when I was joining you and had a conversation with Mary Kay, yesterday. To me, this is about the, you know, this is represents person-centered planning because I'm guessing that you both, this is something that's important to you and you're interested in, and you've got the support you need to do this great podcast. That makes me want to cheer. When I see people where I can see that they're being supported in the things that they want to do, those are the kinds of things that make about person-centered planning work that make me want to cheer. Yeah. What about, what are some of the things that make you mad or upset? You know, what makes me mad or sad, I probably sad is when I see people who have really awesome, you know, there's lots of plans. They talk to me about their hopes and dreams and the things that they want to do and the supports that they, uh, they don't have the supports in place to do that. So they need some help. They need their, you know, they, they aren't able to do it all by themselves and they can't seem to get the supports that they have to fall in line, to help them do those things. Those supports sometimes are barriers. Um, and sometimes those supports are people. Sometimes it's rules that get in the way of that. Mm. But really when the supports are only focused on health and safety and they're not thinking about the bigger pieces, that, right. that makes me sad. Also, it goes hand in hand is because a lot of the way the person-centered planning stuff is set up is can it fall under a goal or for people with disabilities too, it's got to be an attainable goal, but, yeah. and they'll help you with it because you can't say, oh, I'm going to be a rock star tomorrow. <laughs> That's not obtainable. Right. Unless you're a really awesome musician and have a lot of connections. But yeah, I think that that's really a really important point, DJ, is it goes to something that also makes me sad is when, you know, sometimes I'll see things in writing people. This is my person centered plan. 
And I'll see things in there that it's important for DJ to have a healthy lifestyle or to lose weight or, you know, I can only imagine what my person-centered plan would look like or what my health and safety would look like. But focused on those kinds of things and not necessarily, doesn't really tell me anything about what's important, you know, what relationships, um, things to do, uh, things, you know, we, we all like things. Some people like to have things, just all of those different areas that really make you happy and make your heart, make your heart sing um, yep. or doesn't have that kindness factor in there. Right. So that's where, have you ever heard the saying label jars, not people? What does that mean to you? Oh, Cynthia, I have a button and I tried to find it before this podcast from probably before you were born, both of you were born, that says label jars, not people. It was part of a campaign, an advocacy campaign years, decades ago, actually. I am that old. And, you know, I think about labels are, labels can help us and they can help us because they can help us understand or think things. So I think about labels for my brother. It's, you know, he likes to be called a sportsman, an outdoorsman, an athlete, a good neighbor. Those are all kind of labels. They're things that help us understand a person. For me, the label part, the problem becomes when labels are used to exclude people or to put them in the other category or not for you. And that's been historically through my career and and, and the research I've done over the years in law and all kinds of things. People with disabilities have been given those labels, not to include them, but to exclude them. So that's kind of where I see, you know, it works for jars, tells you what's in the jar, but for people, it doesn't, a a disability label doesn't tell you a lot about the person. And you know what, for me, it takes something out of you. It makes you not want to complete anything or do anything because you've already been labeled as you can't. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just something that takes out of you. It makes you less than what you are. For me, that, that makes me feel like they already told me and they man that nothing I can do ever going to be good enough. So I try. That's how I feel about that. Yeah, I hear you, Cynthia. I think labels can bring you. I look at it as does the label bring you up and tell me something really important to you? Like podcaster, Cynthia is a podcaster. That's, yeah. a, that's a valuable label. It, tell, and it tells me a lot about your interests and we might have some shared interests versus label a label that says Cynthia is a person with a disability. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't bring you up. It doesn't, it's not meant to bring you, you know, raise you up. It it often, sometimes those labels can be, so I kind of look at labels that put people down and labels that bring people up. Right. And really focus on those labels that can bring people up and tell me about something. So DJ looks, I, I have a feeling he's a Brett Favre fan or a Green Bay Packers fan. Those are the kinds of labels that are, are valuable to us because they help tell people who we are exactly. and they're exactly. labels we choose. Exactly. And, right. yeah. and I can remember growing up where they'd go, Oh, because of your disability, you're not going to be doing this. So my favorite thing to, to do is I started at a young age with the word can't is not going to be in my dictionary. If somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to push harder to try to do it just to prove them wrong. Because it's that stereotype of, oh, because he's disabled, he can't do this. You know, I had a lot of, yeah, I had a lot of those things with my brother growing up where people would, you know, well, he, you know, he has, he drives a car, he's, he's got his own car, he drives, he works. But I remember, and I use this in training sometimes, remember telling, you know, kind of a little example of someone who, you know, their dreams or their person-centered dreams were to live on their own, have a job 
and drive a car. And I do this with training with teachers sometimes. And then I'd ask the teachers to think about some goals for that person. And when we would talk about after the exercise, when we talk about it, a lot of the teachers and, and professionals, when I've used this, would talk about how, oh, that's unrealistic. First thing we need to do is make sure they have realistic expectations. A person with a dis, you know, and they had information about his disability too, can't do those things. And then I'd share with them that this person is my brother and he has a job, he drives a car, he has all of these, this <laughs> really great life to help them think about how easy it was for them to put low expectations. And Mm -hmm. so I think what you were talking about, DJ, is how those word can't and stuff, other people put these low expectations on us. We we have some listeners out here that might help people making decisions for them. Could you tell how could, is there a way that they can get more involved in the way they live, work, and play? Yeah. So having, so thinking about people who want to, you know, want to do, make their own decisions or make more of their own decisions. I think a big piece of it is finding and connecting with that ally in their lives. So finding someone in their life that can kind of connect with them. I certainly think some of the work that you're doing at advocating for change and the deets is kind of helping people build those skills. Yeah. That's what um, we do. It's a hard question to answer because everybody is at a different place in their life. And some people might have supporters that are making decisions for them. So that it's kind of figuring out how to help them or coach them in making their own decisions. Sometimes I work with families and and young adults who they're kind of trying to transition, become adults and and mom and dad are having a hard time letting go. And so they want to, you know, make decisions for the person. And we have lots of conversations about how to with families, I do with parents and and siblings about how do you uh, early on, but at any point in in your work, you have an opportunity to help your family member. So we help my brother make decisions. We help him think through, we try to be those allies and supporters and we don't always do, we get it wrong sometimes. And sometimes it's easier just to tell somebody what to do, what we think they should do, but it really takes that time and that learning and continually thinking about it. And I think the work that you're doing in both of your roles as leaders in this is super helpful in helping people kind of think that through and just keep asking questions. I guess my advice is to help people find at least one trusted person right? If that's going to listen to them. Yeah, I think of a bicycle. Order to spin the back tire. You got to have the pedals and the gears and all that. But if, if you don't feel comfortable pedaling that bike, there's tools that'll help you pedal that bike. But you got to have the right tools on that bike to make the pedal and the wheel go. So, yeah, and it takes a special skill to be able to ride a bike with just one wheel, those unicycles. Most of us need at least two wheels. Some of us, I need four wheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a really great analogy, I think, or a kind of a way of thinking about it, DJ, for people who come up with some kind of a picture that somebody can think about and help them then add those parts, figure out what parts are missing, and then problem solve how to get those parts. Right, because you can always add and change parts too as you grow up and your plans change. So that's why I like the bike analogy, because you can always add metal pedals or plastic pedals. And so you can always constantly change your bicycle's back end Mm -hmm. and improve it or make it better. I agree. I think that using person-centered planning is one way that people can use. There's an opportunity there for them to figure out those support pieces and get their voice heard. Because I think ultimately it's about how do you support people so that their voice is heard. 
Yes, I agree with that statement. This is so much fun. Well, I got a, a question for you. What if you had a thousand dollars? What would you do? Yes. Gosh. You can give it to me. I'll answer, I'll, I'll answer the question, but that I am actually curious as to what you both would do with a thousand dollars. Well, and actually my mom and my brother, my youngest brother and myself all have big birthdays this year. Like we call them the decade birthdays. And so I think I would use that money to pay for a birthday celebration with our family and our friends sometime when we're allowed to do that again. <laughs> well, for me, I, I, if I had it, I, like I said before, I would spend half of it and just have a, a nice picnic have all the people join together with, with and without disabilities join together, you know, and just have a fun day. And then the other half of it, I would try to get literature out there about some of the things like the debt program and everything that could help a person with a disability get ahead of what they're trying to do. I just put literature everywhere I could, in every store, every window. You know, I would just try to make it be known that there is help out here for people with disabilities. And, it's, and sometimes they don't even know that it's help out there for them. So I would put a lot of literature out. What a testament to your commitment to advocacy for everyone, Cynthia. How about you, DJ? I, I'd kind of go a different approach because music's been with me through all my surgeries and stuff. And it's like the one thing that I go back to every time. So I would have to invest it in helping people with disabilities and without learn music because that is something that they're pulling out of schools. And it's like, no, that needs to be there because what do we turn back to when we get stressed? For me, it's music and mm -hmm. kind of the art. So I, I'd have to figure out how to start my own program and make it so people with and without disabilities could have that outlet. I think that what's so great about that question that you asked me and, and that we all answered is I learned some things that I think are important to you. I would guess anyways, that are important to you. I mean, I think for all three of us, we got to learn from each other, those things that are important to us in terms of family and friends and celebrations and advocacy and education and music and helping other people. Those are all, those are all those, when you think about person-centered, we didn't talk about diets or nutrition or <laughs> medicine or those kinds of things, those health and safety things. We really talked about those things that are important to us. Right, so. Just like, just like we have the right to live the way we want. Exactly. That's point blank. Yep. Just because you have a disability that doesn't mean that you can't do the same thing as a person without a disability. That's mm -hmm. how I feel about it. And the key is to find those supports that are going to help you keep yeah. that balance. Yeah, that's why I say I will put out so much literature. Every time you turn the corner, you will see something saying <laughs> something about advocacy and uh, an OMSTAT program. I'll put it out there. Right, because if you don't know about it. And yeah, you how are you going to learn something about it if you don't know about it? And you got to put it, it out there happen? for them to know that's I, I definitely think a lot of this is about educating people on what needs to happen or how it can help them. And that's what we're ultimately trying to do with the podcast mm -hmm. is to help and teach people about some th avenues that they can take. I hope it helps everybody hearing how conversations that we're having are going so that they can understand how it's going and thoughts on how to help make better decisions or help them get their goals done and stuff. I know I'm putting it out there because 
I didn't tell everybody I know about the podcast. The people at my job, I know they chatted me saying it over and over. Please listen to our podcast. We mm. got some stuff going on out there. So, yeah. And then I work with people with disabilities. So I talk to them every day and tell them the same thing. So I got a lot of listeners waiting to hear what's going on. <laughs> yeah. This is such an important um, thing that you're doing, I think, because I think a lot about the next generation, because I'm getting older. Remember, I said I'm going to have a decade birthday. Yeah. And as, as my friends and other folks who have been on this journey with me, advocating and, and being allies and supporters, we talk a lot about who's going to be those allies and supporters coming up. And really, you guys are leading the, the way on that and doing things that are going to make sense to a whole generation who, you know, your world sometimes looks a little different than mine with all of the electronics and the podcasting in different ways to uh, get yeah. information out to folks. And, and yeah. it's so important that we have those voices and that creativity and just that, that commitment that you all have, thinking about new ways to keep people engaged or you know, keep people connected. Right. Yeah. So this podcast is is just a really terrific idea. I'm glad well, you yeah. like it. Okay, and uh, thanks, Miss Barbara. We'll be closing. But before we close, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with? Gosh, no. I think just thank you for this opportunity. It was great to meet both of you and to learn from both of you. And I hope that everyone out listening continues to stay positive and be kind and know that there are people out there that are willing and, and, and able to support, but sometimes also need a little guidance in that because, you know, we sometimes need help from you to tell us what's going to, what's working and what's not working and what's important right. to you. Absolutely. Okay. We want to thank you. It was great meeting you. Yes, thank you. Okay. Join us for the next Disability Equality Podcast. To bring self-advocacy programs to your group, check out the Disability Equality Training Series and other ACT Center programs at selfadvocacy.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>